Today's Old Testament reading comes from the Psalms, chapter 51, verses 1 through 12, and can be found on page 573 of the Pew Bibles. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all of my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. This is the word of the Lord. Today's New Testament reading comes from John chapter 3, verses 1 to 17, and can be found on pages 1065 to 1066 of the Pew Bibles. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into the mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit." How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, 
that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his, world, his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is the word of the Lord. Hello, excuse me, hello and welcome to each one who's here today. As well, we'd like to, excuse me, welcome each one of you who's joining us on Zoom today. Thank you for making this special effort, if you're doing that. And of course, as soon as you're back from your trip, travels, or it's more convenient possibly for you to come, we'd love to see you here as well. But um, we do rejoice, particularly in this beautiful day that God has given us. Um, Sunshine is absolutely precious, and we're thankful for it. Where I lived in Wisconsin, just before I came to be your interim pastor, they had three inches of snow on Thursday night, and my wife and I just looked at each other as we were drinking tea and coffee and smiled. We were deeply appreciative of being here for, I don't know if those are spiritual reasons or not, but we appreciate the fact that we're here. You know, this morning we want to continue in this sermon series from the statement of faith that you as a church are working and finishing and putting together. The reason I find that a statement of faith is very important in 2022 is that although we totally agree with the great creeds of history like the Apostles' Creed, and here we actually use that every Sunday that we have communion, and we read it together, it's very good and it's important. But why I think it's important that we look at and we refer back to a statement of faith in 2022 is that we'll find among Christianity, among Christendom, that some of the meanings or the words, the thoughts that were given previously have now been redefined. They have sometimes different meanings than what we may have thought they meant. And so it's very good for us as this kind of shift in thinking is happening for us once again to look at what the Bible explains about God, about itself, and about sin and salvation as we talk about today. If you've been unable to somehow get a hold of those tapes, you were busy traveling, were not here for the previous sermons, I would, occur, I would encourage you to go to the church website, that's just simply ipc-zurich, And there you can find under sermons an audio copy of each one of those sermons as well as a study guide. Should you be interested, I would encourage you to look at those because up to now we've talked about Almighty God, the Trinity. We've spoken about God as Father. Remember, one God, three persons. And we spoke as God, as Father, as Son, and as the Holy Spirit. And then we moved on to God's Bible or the Holy Scriptures that we talked about last week. This week we gathered together two of the points on our statement being that of sin and salvation. And next week we'll do the final sermon on the church and Jesus' second coming or return. Let me read to you what we say there about sin and salvation. We believe that we are created for perfect and eternal fellowship with God, who is holy and just. 
When we think, speak, or act in a way that is against God's will, we sin. Since the fall, Adam and Eve, since, excuse me, since the fall of Adam and Eve, we have all been imperfect sinners. And so we are alienated from God and from each other. In another way, the Bible describes that in Ephesians, it said, and you who were lost, but God. And then for salvation, we say, we believe that the only, only God's grace can save us from eternal separation from him, and that we are saved through the faith in Jesus Christ, who redeemed and justified us by his sacrifice on the cross. Well, we want to look then today at these two elements of what we say we believe. We believe sin is true. And we want to look at that. Now, as we started this morning, we read Psalm 51. And of course, it was sung to us in a beautiful manner in that record of David repenting from sin. And let me just say, as we begin this morning, to understand the wickedness of sin, to understand the absolute power and the badness, if for lack of a better word, of sin, we must, on the other hand, understand, just grasp a hold of briefly, the very purpose of God in creating man and woman in His image. You know, and the rest of creation, it all said, and these animals were made, or this was made, after their kind. And here it says, what kind are we after? God! And God created that as he created Adam, he took the dust of the earth, it says, and then he formed that body together. That was the first part of the creation of Adam. And then the second part of the creation of Adam, he says, and he breathed into him the breath of life. And he became a living soul. The physical, the eternal. And so... What is so bad about sin? Because you see, God created us. And he gave us these characteristics that are godlike in a sense. We can think, we can reason, we can choose. We are incredibly creative. We have emotions, we can love, and we can go in every direction with our emotions. We can raise children, we can develop all of these things from God. And yet this idea of living for eternity... As one of the ancients said, every time we see a human walk by, we must always in our mind think, there went one in whom God had dwelt, but no longer. Now that's not trying to be judgmental of anyone, but it's just a general principle. They said, so what about sin? You see, in Psalm 51 that was read and sung to us, Let's just look at that. Have mercy on me, O God. You see, as David deals with sin, the very first thing he does is he comes to God and he asks God for mercy and loving kindness, this attribute of God, this character of God's heart, that he is good, he is loving, he is kind, he is full of mercy, just simply because he wants to be. He desires to be. And so he knows that the only place to deal with sin is 
is to come to God. And you see what he cries out for there in verse 4. He says, oh, my sin is always before me. Then look at verse 4 and he says, against you. So sin is not only as we commit it and do something wrong to others, but there's a greater thing in it. It is actually, as David says, it is against God. And because it's against him in the end of verse 4, he says, then God, you are absolutely right in any way that you judge it. Wow. But then he goes on as he senses the guilt. In verses 4 and 5 and 6, he cries out and says, Oh God, that you would teach me wisdom in my heart. Purge me with hyssop. They be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. This concept is something that has left the guilt on his heart and soul. Now we know if we read his account that he did things where he took advantage and he he actually not only had a a relationship with someone else's wife, he arranged for that person to be actually killed within the battle. Incredible stuff. And it wasn't until the prophet came to him and he said to him, David, you are the man. And then David understood, oh, what I have done is absolutely wrong. And here he cries out, not only against them, but against God himself. So sin. Now, the consequences, of course, of sin are huge, as David begins there. But then he also, as he goes on, talks to us about, oh God, restore to me. Cleanse me, God. Put the joy of your salvation back into my life. And he goes on, so he realizes that the only answer to sin is God. And there is a process through which he can go through that God restores him. Well, why then is sin such an amazing and terrible thing? You know, in the New Testament, it'll say in Romans chapter 3, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then in chapter 6, verse 23 as well, it'll say, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So ultimately it leads to death. Well then, why is it so serious? Well, if we go back to the original moment, and it talks about evil coming, and moving, and speaking, and convincing them or leading them to the place where they needed to make the choice. These, this man, this woman, who had been created in the image of God, with all of the capacity to live and live and live and live for God. Listen to what he says. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? A question that comes. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. The very first thing and why sin is so subtle in that sense. You see, the very first thing is not simply an attack on her or him. It's an attack on God. And he says, did God really say, actually, the authority of God? Does God have the authority to say and to determine and be God? 
And, she, and it goes on, and he says, she replied correctly, she understood, but then the serpent said to the woman, surely you will not die. A lie. Or a partial truth. Sometimes more effective than an all-out lie. They did not immediately physically die, but spiritually they were lost. As God had created them out of the dust, and then she from him, but then it breathed into them the breath of life, and they lost that relationship with him. Wow. And then it goes on further. So the woman, or he said, For God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing the good and evil. In other words, he casts in a question about the very character and goodness of God. Look at the authority of God the very truth of God, and now he's casting a doubt on the very goodness of God. Did God intend, did God create man and woman with these things in store for them? And then as you watch the process, it's very similar to what John writes in 1 John when he talks about temptation. He says, and she looked and she saw it was good for food. Listen to what's happening in her mind. God said, no, it will kill you. She says, it looks good for food to me. That's a question about authority, isn't it? Is he right? Is she right? Then the next thing she says, but it's beautiful to the eyes. And he said, you will die. But really, it's not that bad, is it? It really looks pretty good to me. The real question of, is this true? Or is this true? Is God truth or not? And then finally, she comes down and says, and she saw that it was desired to make her wise. Is God holding that back from me? Is God really good? Or is he keeping back from me the very best? And so then she chooses. She eats, gives to her husband, and they eat. And all I would say is that, and then at that very moment after they have eaten, yes, in that sense, their eyes were opened, and all of a sudden they realized that they were guilty and that they were naked. They could not stand before God, and they sought to hide from him. The outworkings of sin, and I would just say before we leave this text, we must, if we could read to the end, we would find where God says in the, this we, the plurality of God, God the, Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, and said that man has become like us, knowing the difference of good and evil. Let us put him outside of the garden, lest he eat of the... You see, there was not just one tree in the center of the garden. There were two trees in the center of the garden. One was the knowledge of good and evil, and if you eat of that, you die. The other is, if you eat of it, you live eternally the freedom of choice which God created in humanity the choice is does one choose God or does one choose anything else wow and of course when you go into the book of Revelation at the very end that tree will reappear And those of us who know him will eat of it. Now, what is that? So if sin is that, and sin leads to death, 
then how in the world, what can we do? What is the plan of God, the plan of salvation to bring that out? Just let me read some verses of the way God has worked this out. Because in John 3, verses 16 and 17, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This is a key concept. Do we believe he came to condemn us, to judge us, or did he come to save us? And the Bible again and again will say this plan of salvation is from God. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans chapter 5. For while we were still weak, at the right time, God, excuse me, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even die. But God shows his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Therefore, we've been justified by his blood. Much more will be saved from the wrath of God. For while we were yet sinners, we are reconciled to God by the death of of his son. In that, what it says is God did not wait for us to get better, but while we were yet sinners, while we're in this moment of loss, of being separated from, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, that we could be justified, it says, that we could be uh, redeemed, that we could be forgiven, reconciled with God. Well, all of those are amazing terms, but let's just for a moment think about some of those and see what they actually say. For example, that term in Romans 3, it says that he, he took away the wrath of God. How did he do that? You see, David in his Psalm 51 says, God, you are right when you judge that sin. Well, how, does, how do we deal with that sin? Because God, to be honest and and holy and pure and almighty cannot simply sweep our sin under the rug and say, it doesn't matter. It's okay. No, 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 no. Here's what he says in Romans chapter 3. Just look at this, listen. It says, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and we're justified by his grace through redemption in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, Oh, these are all theological terms, aren't they? Let me just explain them for a moment. To be redeemed or re- is, a, is a word which originates from the marketplace. Some think it came from this, possibly connected with the slave market. The concept to redeem is to buy back. You take and you pay the price to buy back. To justify means that the judge, it comes from a courtroom setting, and it means the judge has looked at all the evidence, and the judge declares not guilty. And then this one propitiation comes from a temple scenario where the anger or the judgment of that one being worshipped is satisfied. And what he's saying here in Romans is when Jesus went to the cross... All of that happened. The judgment of God came upon him rather than upon you and me. And that's an amazing truth that we, let me just look at that with you together for a minute. How did that happen? It takes care of the judgment of God. 
It makes us, buys us back, and at the same time makes us no longer guilty. How is that possible? See, this is the plan of salvation, to restore us to relationship with God. Let me read to you from Colossians chapter 2. Some of my favorite verses in the New Testament, beginning with verse 13. And you, who were dead in your sin and trespasses. Wow, that's pretty hard language. Listen to this though. God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, he set that aside, nailing it to the cross, and he disarmed the ruler's authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Did you catch what it said? Everything, we were dead, we were guilty. And by the end of this, we are going to be free and forgiven. How do we move from being lost under the judgment of God to being free and forgiven? He says here, remember he says, you are forgiven all of our trespasses by God canceling the debt of record or the record of debt. So everything should that would maybe gives us an idea when one would stand at the final day before God and should God read out all the lists of what we've done. I remember sometimes thinking, wouldn't that be a terrible, oh my. And what if God then used videos? Oh my. I'm not referring to you, I'm just referring to Dennis. Wow. You probably, just before you hit the second button, oh God, no. And then not only does God have video of our life, our thoughts. Jesus said, we know it has been written, you shall not murder, but I say if you just hate your brother. It has been written when he quotes another command that you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you, if you just look and lust. It's not just what we've done, it's what we thought in the very depth. And so how do we move from not being guilty before God to being free? Look what he says. He took all of that, and literally it says, and all the legal demands he set aside, he nailed it. I am so moved with this idea. In my mind, it's just God the Father nailing, nailing to the cross all of my guilt, your guilt, our sin, and the punishment that should be ours, nailing it to the cross. Literally that day, the body of Jesus was nailed, and God the Father places upon Him all that belonged to you and to me. Isn't that amazing truth? That you see, he's talked about being redeemed, being bought back. What was the price God paid for you? His son. He gave his life that we would not be the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. He gave that price. How did he then transfer and as the judge of all eternity, that one seated on the throne, how can he in all righteousness and holiness and love and mercy and yet being pure to his own nature, how can he say you're no longer guilty? Because he's taken the guilt and he's moved it from you and me and placed it upon the Son of God. That before the eternal throne, he can say not only has he removed that guilt 
but he has then actually taken all that God the Son has done and put that upon our lives. It's amazing truth. The plan of salvation. So how does that actually work? I think Paul's writings in Romans chapter 10 are so helpful to us. He says this in verse 9. He says that faith is near us. He says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then verse 10 explains verse 9. For with the heart one believes and is justified. Remember that word? That means that no longer guilty. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. It's almost like two steps. Let me just review that with you, what he says that we need to do. He says that if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, well, what does that mean? That we believe the truth that Jesus died and there was that moment when God the Father took what really belonged to us and he nailed it upon the cross, upon placed it upon his son, that his son became the substitute for us. And when he died, when he cried out on the cross, it is finished, the bill was totally paid. And then it says, if you believe he rose from the dead, that as he rose from the dead, he gave a testimony in that sense to all who were looking on, whether spiritual world, physical world, you and me here in 2022. What is it testifying to? That God the Father had accepted that moving of what was ours and what would make us lost and eternally separated from God and was placed upon the Son. And then the Son took it and God the Father shows that evil is defeated and he raises him from the dead. Oh my, what a true story. If you believe that in your heart, and then you confess with your mouth him as Lord. In other words, saying, he actually takes us for a moment back to the garden, doesn't he? Did God say? Well, I think maybe not. You will die. Oh, no, 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 no. If you eat, God doesn't want the best for you. And coming back to that very place where once again we had to come back and say, I want him as my God, as my Lord. And open the door of our life to him. And verse 10 explains it this way. It says, for with the heart and that very depth of our soul, of our person, we believe. And as we believe and as God shows us that these truths are true for us, that Jesus did die for us personally, that that is moved as we believe that personally. He says then that God sees and understands that and he justifies us. And he says, yes, at that moment you're moving from being guilty and lost to being my child and forgiven and have redemption and eternal life. And of course, we have studied how then at that moment, as we studied God, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes in us crying out, Abba, Father. And our spirit cries back to him, Abba, Father. But then it even goes further. Not only do you believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead and confess him as Lord, but he says, for in the heart one believes and is justified. 
and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. What this confession does, it takes it from being simply a cognitive, I think that's a historical fact, to being a personal truth for me. I want you God. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and there's no other salvation other than the one you have made in Jesus Christ. It's a believing and it's a confessing. So let me just close. These are important moments. How in the world does this all happen? We can all identify the fact as of being sinners, can't we? There's that moment because we've been created in the image of God. There's also that sense of right and wrong. And there's this moment when we have sensed guilt. We've sensed wrong. We've sensed whatever. And we realize the only way one can be cleansed of that is by entering God's plan and the way he works out salvation. Let me just ask you this question. If you would put your life in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, do you believe that he raised him from the dead? Have you confessed him as Lord? In the depth of your heart, do you believe? So that you can be justified that truly when God took what was really yours and mine that would have condemned us and placed it on Jesus, that Jesus took it, and God understood that it's been transferred to him. He paid his life for us. Do you believe? And finally, have you actually confessed and said, God, that is truth, but it's also true for me. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, from which many, many artists have made a painting of Jesus standing at a door and knocking. You all know the verse. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone opens the door, I will come in. And if you study the painting, you'll realize the painting is a door without a doorknob. And often there's a little line underneath saying, the only way this door can be opened is from the inside. Jesus knocks. The truth is ours. Salvation is believing and confessing. The confessing part is to open the door of our life and our heart and our soul and repent and ask God to enter. That's salvation. Let's pray. Just a note before I pray, if you're seated here today among us, and you've taken a millisecond to look in your soul, and you don't know if you really do believe, and you're not certain that you've ever confessed. Because as you look for God, the Holy Spirit, you do not sense his presence. I don't want to put cast doubt in your mind, but I would just say, as I pray, this would be a moment for you to do that. Revelation 3.20, open the door of your heart and experience God. Forgiveness, cleansing, and eternal life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity today to study your word together. Thank you that you are so clear as you describe sin, how it began, and the consequences. But thank you, Lord, that you didn't leave it there, that while we were yet sinners, you sent Christ to die for us. And as it says in Romans 5, 8, 
This is the way you demonstrated your love for us. John 3.16 starts again, where God so loved that you gave your son, not to judge us, but to save us. And so, Lord, when anything whispers in our ears that this is judgmental or this is this or this is this, may we consciously put that aside today and say, no, this is an expression of God loving us eternally. And Lord, we want to simply believe and open our hearts and lives to you. And Lord, if there's anyone here today who does that, may you give them and put faith in their life and they experience you real. And for each of us who know you, may we worship you with all of our heart. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us a plan of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.